Thank you, Danny. Well, I want to say welcome to all of you again here and also at home. And uh, we've got some big things happening here in the life of our, our building and our facility. Uh, we're hoping that a new roof goes on pretty soon. That was supposed to happen in June, but with all the wet weather, that kind of got kicked back. So pray for all of our, our local roofers and painters because they are terribly behind at this point, right? Uh, but that's going to be a huge project, um, going to last a week or maybe even longer as they put an entire roof on it. So thanks, thanks to those of you who pledged and gave money towards that. Uh, the rest of it was financed through our, our national group called Covenant Properties. And so we're excited to have a brand new roof up there. Uh, also, uh, we'll be doing some work in our foyer, just some cosmetic stuff. So as you travel this summer, when you come back, it might look different. It will look different. And we're excited that Lisa is, is tackling that project. She kind of looks for stuff to do during the summer, even though she already has a lot to do. Um, but usually it's, it's when the rest of us are out of the building, she can actually get some stuff done. So thank you, Lisa. Uh, also, Unite West is, is coming up next week, and so we have a half dozen or so high school students that are headed down to L.A. for a week uh, to Unite West, which is a week-long youth conference down there. And so this time next Sunday, they'll al already be in transit, so just be praying for them, for the work that the Holy Spirit will be doing. And if you would like to follow the train of young children uh, and Pastor Angela out that door in the back, you're welcome to do that now. So any kids, you're invited back to Kids Church uh, right now if you'd like, if you so choose. Uh, this summer, we're going to work our way through the letter to the Colossians. And uh, we'll be doing this during July and, and the early part of August. And I'm kind of preaching through the first half of, half of the letter. And then when I'm on vacation, Matt Randall's over here is going to take on one of the chapters in Phil Manili, and Angela's going to land on one of those two. And so uh, this is kind of a team effort. And it's a slightly different approach for the summer. We've been kind of preaching through some bigger themes like uh, Jesus says, that was during Lent and the I am sayings of Jesus. And then we looked at the kingdom of God and what that is and the Holy Spirit. These are all things that we as Protestants kind of skimp on, the kingdom of God and especially the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we as a church want to round that out in our view and our understanding and our, in our like, uh, way that we see both the kingdom of God and the spirit in our life. And so this is a, a little bit of a, a switch in gears, I guess, or a change, a switch in approach. We'll, we're kind of looking at this like a book study. Um, so Colossians has always had a special place in my, in my heart. And uh, there's been some significant moments in my life where I feel like God has really spoken to me through, the, through this letter. And it's, a, it's an interesting letter. It's, it's one that was written to a group of people that the Apostle Paul had never met. And so he kind of focuses on, on the basics. And, and that's really powerful. Uh, that's really helpful for us. It's a short letter. Uh, Paul is not long-winded, which is probably why I originally liked it. I'm like, man, I can power through this in no time. Just like couple chapters and we're, we're all done. Pat myself on the back. Uh, but the message of Colossians is, is really elegant. It's simple and timeless. And so whether we're talking about uh, making plans, uh, whether we're talking about home repair, road trips, even communicating with one another, often the best approach is one that's just straightforward, uh, uncomplicated, easy to execute. So the old adage, you know, keep it simple, stupid, kiss, uh, that rings true. So why is it that when it's that easy, we often find ourselves saying, it can't be this simple, right? Uh, years ago, 
and when I, when I say years ago, I mean years ago, I switched from using PCs as computers to the company that's not based in Redmond, Washington. And that was a significant switch for me because I, I was pretty good on PCs. And so my friend who had convinced me to switch over, I, I felt like, man, during the first, I don't know, year or two or longer, I would find myself emailing or texting or calling uh, uh, my friend Jeff, like, I'm just trying to do this thing and I can't do it. Like, how do you do it on a Mac? And I was always so frustrated because he would just say the most simple, straightforward, intuitive thing and it would work. Like so much so that I get to the point where I'm like, what is the most simple, straightforward, intuitive way to do this thing on this computer? And it would work. You know, for example, like one, I remember like right away I was trying to transfer files. And I'm like, I'm looking for the, you know, file tree and DOS prompts and all kinds of, you know, computer wizardry. And I call my friend Jeff and he's like, well, there's this thing called the Finder. I'm like, oh, that's a good name. You just drag the icon and you drop it over there. Oh, really? That's it? Now they all function that way. So that's a, that's a good thing for me. But whenever I encounter something simple and straightforward, I, I'm always like, it can't be this simple, right? So whenever we talk about the good news of God that Jesus offers us, it's like this. It's a newfound hope, a realization that God's in your corner, that you can rely on him to give you strength and wisdom and patience, even show you mercy, provide you joy. And all of that is found through King Jesus and by living the way of Jesus. It's as simple as hearing God's voice and doing what he says. So why, I ask, do we make it so complex? Maybe it's because, maybe it's because we often feel like our little world is so overwhelming and faith can't possibly be that straightforward. So the message that we talk about today, the one that the Colossians heard through uh, actually a co-worker of Paul, uh, the message that they heard about Jesus Christ. I love this translation of Colossians 1.27. It's provided by Eugene Peterson in the message. And, and it says this, the mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. Well, the simple truth that's found in Jesus that reveals the mysterious workings of God through the ages is that he can live in you and you in him. It's pretty profound. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. We're talking about the God of the universe who created all that we see, the one who created people in his image. He can dwell inside of you and in me. There's a common saying about the Holy Spirit. This happens through the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. God's the ultimate respecter of the human dignity of choice. He's not going to force anybody to do anything. And through Christ, you can choose to have God live in you. All you have to do is receive that gift. That's all. And that's the key to eternal life with him, but also to living the eternal life now in all its fullness. A couple weeks ago, uh, my family was, we were Googling, uh, we were looking for a movie to watch. 
And so as we're going on Netflix, you know, all, all of the suggestions, it, it, you just get kind of stuck in your own little cul-de-sac there, right? The algorithm's like, oh, because you like this, you should like this. And other people who like this, eh. So we're trying to break out of the mold. We're like, best movies, you know, whenever. And there was this list of like 100 movies that we started working through. And eventually we got to the movie, you're going to laugh, Jerry Maguire. Okay? And this was from a long, long time ago. But we decided to watch it. And it occurred to me as I was watching this movie that I haven't seen till, since maybe it was in the theater. Uh, it was a long time ago. And we're watching this with our kids. And I remember it being a love story. And now 20 years later, I watch it and I realize that it's really about midlife. And if, if, you're, if you don't know, go watch Jerry Maguire and you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of midlife themes in that. And so I was kind of, I was processing that this week. And there was another movie. These are about 10 years apart. And so we're due for the next, like, midlife movie for all of you people in your, you know, like, late 40s and 50s. You remember the book Eat, Pray, Love? Okay, I'm not going to admit to ever reading that because I didn't. But I did watch the movie. It wasn't my fault. It was my wife's idea. Probably my mother-in-law was here. So about 10 years ago, that came out. Julia Roberts stars in it. And what I didn't realize is that that was the author's like, own journey. Even though it was fictionalized, it was, it was very autobiographical on uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, I believe is her name. Um, and then they, they made about her journey towards love and happiness. And she was actually named, that book sold so many copies, she was named to the time, like, 100 most influential people, one of those years, which I know, we have one of those in our congregation too, right? Um, so I was like, seriously? Like, it was that influential? And of course it was. Because about every 10 years, the book or the movie comes out about how to process some of these things that you experience in midlife. And when I was in my 30s, I wasn't paying attention because I was sleep deprived and I had little kids. But now I'm in the life space where I'm paying attention. And as a pastor, I get to unfortunately see this over and over again, uh, that there's people that kind of begin this journey. I've watched lots of people blow up their lives looking for something they think is missing. And it's sad. And so I was thinking about these movies this week, especially the Eat, Pray, Love one. You know, I get a little teary-eyed. <laughs> I mean, the main character in this movie was a bit lost, feeling a bit empty, uh, wondering what is life about and how did her life become like this? So the main character in that movie, which again, autobiographical, she kind of had it all. She had a lucrative career. She had lots of friends. She'd gotten married to the family guy in that movie. And um, oddly enough, when it appears like she has it all, she feels empty. Like you kind of get to that. I had one friend tell me, you know, I climbed to the top of the corporate ladder. I stood on it and I looked around and I realized I climbed the wrong wall is what he said. I climbed the wrong wall. It wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And so what will bring lasting peace, lasting joy? Well, in that particular movie, it was to eat, pray, and love. It sounds so simple, so wise, but it's also really so self-centered. And here's what I don't understand. In our popular culture, 
When a person tries to find fulfillment in another person, we rightly call that codependency, right? Like, that's a bad thing. But what about the other extreme? Why do we celebrate the other extreme? Like becoming this ultra-independent, self-sufficient, often isolated and lonely person. We, we kind of, oh, that's courageous, that you're willing to like, give up on your job and your husband or wife and, your, and, and embark on this journey to find yourself. Why do we, why do, we know this doesn't work, and yet the self-help industry, the podcast industry, I mean, over and over again, we just get a different version of the same message. Oh, to, to really be happy in life, you need to find yourself by leaving all of this behind and looking for a new self. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And when a person realizes deep down that they're missing something, I believe that's God at work in them. You know, maybe you've hit a point in life where you found your identity in the wrong things, like your job, and it doesn't fill you. Or you find yourself, your, your identity in the wrong things, like your kids. How many people reach, oh, the kids are away at college and it's time to start over. We move, we get divorced, we go through the whole thing because all of your identity was wrapped up in a task that you shared together. It's tragic. I watch it over and over again. And the answer to all of this midlife angst is pretty simple, and you're going to hate me for saying this, but it's Christ in you. You're like, how could it be that simple? Maybe that's why Paul calls it a mystery. It's Christ in you. God is enough. He can transcend our circumstances by transforming us. And that's how life begins to work. So here we are learning from the Colossians. 2,000 years ago, uh, the world looks a lot different today than it does then, but you know what? We still have a lot in common with human beings. And so here's the Colossians. The simple message of the gospel is Christ in you. It's a gift from God. Paul writes, this is, verse, uh, this is chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. And this is from the message. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Keeps going over it again and again. This message, this message, this message. It's simple. So in Western Washington, I often get the impression that people, uh, I don't know if it's that they aren't aware that this is a gift or they're not looking for the gift. Um, you know, when you say Christ died for you, I feel like the response is often, okay, thanks. It's like that, 
gift at the uh, you know Christmas party that you're like, oh sweet, I really really needed a gravy tray, whatever that thing's called. Thanks, I think Christ died for me. And in the Pacific Northwest, we're very independent, we're very self-sufficient people, and so I've kind of been on a on, a, on my own quest lately. Is like, how do you explain the message? Uh, that Paul is so passionate about. And there's a, a Christian group called InterVarsity that uh, ministers on college campuses. And I don't know, just a few years ago, they developed this kind of tool that I want to show you this morning, and it's called the Big Story. And it's a way to describe or talk about what God has done for us. And so, Steve, switch over to that PowerPoint presentation. It's got four circles, okay? We'll, we'll put the first circle up here as a starting point. You'll see. Because this is much better, believe it or not, than having me make the stick figures. So, when we look at the world, what is it like? What do we see in the news? We see uh, social chaos, we see mass shootings, we see war in Ukraine, we see lots of problems. Uh, We usually don't argue over the fact that, that the world is a pretty messed up place. That's all the little squiggly lines right there. The world is a pretty messed up place, and many of us are, are broken too. And the interesting thing is when we ask one another, how do we feel about this? We all long for a better world, or at least many of us do. We see a need for change. The Christian point of view is that all of that longing points to something else. It points to the possibility of a better world that did exist, or will one day. So the next slide. If we go back in time, we we Christians, we believe that we originally were designed for good, that God intended this beautiful world for good, and that he gave us a job to take care of the world, to take care of one another, that God would take care of us. But clearly things aren't going as God designed. We instead decided to take care of our own needs, which damaged the world, which damages our relationships with others, which breaks our relationship with God. And so that's where we get, we're designed for good, but the world that we've created, human beings, is very different from the one that God originally designed. It's been damaged by evil. And so the next circle we put down here, is that the story of Jesus Christ, the vision of the cross that we have there, is is, is that we've been restored for better. That God so loved the world, he sent his son. God came in Jesus to teach us a better way to live. A way in which all the good things that are supposed to happen actually happen. And that by dying on the cross, Jesus taught us that all the damage we've done has died with him. And a new life, it's possible through Jesus. You know, when Jesus came back from the dead, he unleashed new power into the world, new power that can live inside of us. Uh, When he came back, uh, he not only unleashed this new power, but he began to heal all the damage done in our world, relationships with others, even our relationship with God. So through Jesus, everything is being restored for the better. 
So what's our response? Well, the next slide, the next circle, shows us what kind of happens next. It's actually our, our mission. We're sent together to heal. You know, in our world, which is still messed up, Jesus is starting a revolution. He's asking us to join him on his mission to heal and restore this damaged world. And Jesus asks us to follow him, to expose the corruption in the world, to bring peace and justice throughout it. He asks us to restore relationships in our life by serving others and loving others and forgiving others. He asks us to be healed ourselves by restoring our relationship with God. And so this is our mission. We're sent together to heal. So the interesting thing is that if you go to the next slide, is that often we try and we see this problem. It's not difficult to see that our world is kind of messed up. And so we go straight from that top right circle. We want to go straight to the mission and just bypass the Jesus piece altogether. But you, you can't jump from that circle to that circle. It's extremely necessary to go through that third circle. Because Jesus has resources for us. He has resources that we need. Uh, we need Christian community. We need God's presence. We need the Holy Spirit. And without those, we quickly get overwhelmed with all the problems in the world. That's one reason why we need Jesus. And through Jesus, we can become the kind of good that we want to see in the world. It's crucial. So when you look at a diagram like this, you always want to ask, well, where, where, where are you? Are you in the first circle and you're like, I don't know, I think the world's just fine. Maybe you're in the second circle up there and you're like, yeah, the, the world is pretty, pretty messed up. Uh, maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're in the third circle and you have a sense of God working in your life, but you're not involved in his mission at all. Or maybe you're in this last circle and you're trying to make the world a better place. You're, you're uh, trying to heal your own relationships to be whole yourself, but you're having trouble figuring out how God fits in this whole picture. But this is where Jesus gives us hope. You know, for 2,000 years, his followers have been at the forefront of almost every major societal change. You know, Jesus gives us hope. He offers us forgiveness to join his vision without guilt or shame, we can respond by just admitting we don't want to live like we have anymore. We want to see things his way. We can choose to trust Jesus. We can make him the leader of our life. How's that sound? How's that sound? You want to follow Jesus today. It's not just a one-day thing. The Apostle Paul's like, you don't walk away from a gift like that. You don't walk away from a gift like that. Um, Fifteen years ago, I met Seth, who's a friend of mine. He's now a pastor in Helena, Montana. And um, he won't strike you as the typical church, I work at a church sort of guy. Uh, Seth has a great story. Um, he, he does look rather biblical. He's got a really long beard like this. Um, but he also plays hockey, and he's really good at snowboarding. 
so Seth grew up at Colorado. He was the classic, you know, ski kid, ski bum. Uh, in his early 20s, he lived in a van he, in a mountain town. He was a chef. I actually don't know if he lived in a van, but I always imagine it that way. And, uh, I mean, he had the life. He, he, he went to culinary school, so it was easy for him to get jobs and kind of move around wherever he wanted to. Uh, and he partied hard every night, boarded every moment in between. And his life sounds fun and carefree, but when you hear Seth talk about his life, you realize that Seth was a wreck. His life was pretty messed up. Grew up in a dysfunctional family. Uh, He was extremely melancholy and apathetic. He was lonely. He felt real hopeless about his future. And so as uh, God would have it, Seth, who really had no interest or desire in God whatsoever, found himself working at uh, a, a Christian camp and conference center, which cracks me up. It was actually more of a conference kind of thing. So it was this big Christian organization that ran it. This was in Colorado somewhere. And somehow Seth kept his job despite frequently showing up hungover. And he was sitting in the break room one day. This is the best part of the story. And he had a bag of marijuana cigarettes in his pocket. Okay? And he was going to smoke them after work. And this was when this was very illegal, okay? So legal now, but wasn't 25 years ago whenever this was happening. And so he's sitting in the break room, and his supervisor walks by. And as he walks by, he points to the floor underneath Seth's chair, and he's like, oh, Seth, I I think your drugs fell out of your pocket. (laughs) And Seth, he's like, oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm like, why did you say those aren't my drugs? He's like, I couldn't believe what happened. And so later that day, his supervisor calls him into his office, and he's like, yeah, this is where I get fired. And he sits down, and his boss looks at him, and he's like, "Um, what you did today is an automatic dismissal. You realize that, right? He's like, not just here at the Christian organization, but anywhere, automatic firing. And so it's like, yeah, I know. It's like, but I lived a lot like you once until I encountered Christ. It changed my life. And so I want you to keep working here. But you have to do better. You have to, sto- you have to show up sober and act like you care about your job. Can you do that? And Seth is stunned. He's like, okay, I can do that. And so that's where the journey started. Seth started a friendship with his boss, really. Conversations led to Bible studies. Eventually, Seth figured out the reason this guy was so different, it was Christ in him. And that was what God used him to show uh, that Jesus was real. And at that point in the story, Seth usually starts crying. And I've, he's told me the story. I've seen him tell others the story. He gets all choked up. He's like, why was that so significant? He's like, no one had ever shown me grace like that. That's a gift you don't walk away from. The Apostle Paul pleads with the Colossians, stay grounded steady in that bond of trust. It's not just a one-and-done thing. Oh, I know this piece of information. I pray this prayer, and I'm good to go. No, stay grounded. 
steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. And so as we close our time together this morning, I want us to lean into that last little phrase there in that passage I read. Be careful not to be distracted or diverted. That's easier said than done. What could possibly distract us or divert us? Or many Bible translations say shift or move you away from the gift of God and the life found in Christ. Well, actually, there's a lot of things. Sometimes life is relentless. And the things that happen to us make us angry, angry at God, angry at others. They make us anxious, afraid. They make us worry. You know, sometimes, uh, recently I had some, you know, the anxiety that you're experiencing in your life, really the root cause of that is you don't believe God is enough. Maybe that's why I'm anxious. It's that deep down I... I worry that God is enough. Uh, sometimes the things that distract or divert us is maybe the good news never actually took root in our life. It was just the next thing. Unconfessed or unacknowledged sin in our lives is a distraction. We make dumb choices. We struggle to give and receive forgiveness. You know, one of the biggest distractions is just our busyness and the way that we choose to fill our life full of really good things, but they become the enemy of a much greater thing. You know, those midlife movies, I often think, and, and the story, the, the real lives of people that I know, recently even, that just blow up their life and walk away. It's like it's the first time they actually took a break. And I always think like, isn't that what a Sabbath is for? Isn't this why God tells us about the rhythm of how we live our life, like day in, day out, week in, week out, month, month? In. Like when you're just constantly redlining it, man, eventually it all falls apart. There's lots of things that can distract and divert and shift us away from God. Uh, one of the ones that I'm really tuned into right now is other Christians. They can be a distraction, can't they? But if we could do our faith with just Jesus and us, why does the New Testament include everything after the Gospels? You know, when you read letters like Colossians, there's a lot in there about our friendships and our relationships with other people in the church. Do you think it was easy for them 2,000 years ago? No. It's always been challenging. Church has always been messy. There's always been people in the church who are like, oh, I can't believe they wrote that on Facebook. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not Facebook. But I can't believe they said that. This is the body of Christ. We have a unique opportunity to witness the unity of Christ to the rest of our world. If we choose to trust him, and to not get distracted or diverted from the simple message, the, the gift of God found in Jesus Christ. And so the words of the Apostle Paul from the beginning of the opening chapter of Colossians couldn't be more appropriate for people like us today. He says in verse 5, 
The message is as true among you today as it was when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. The message bears fruit and gets, gets larger and stronger just as it has in you. From the very first day you heard it and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you learned it. The good news of Jesus is as true today as it was when you first heard it. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Uh, maybe where you found yourself in one of those circles or in that diagram. But you can walk away remembering one simple thing. Christ in you. Christ in you. And for those of us who've experienced the goodness of God through Jesus, we can see that in, in others. We're drawn to it. We actually need it to be around one another, to worship together, to encourage each other. Christ in us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, there are so many things um, throughout the course of our lifetime that can kind of distract and dis- derail us. Sometimes they hit us like an earthquake and they really shake things up. Other times it's kind of like watching slow motion erosion as as it feels like the sand under our feet or the soil under our feet is just gradually washed away. The fact is, you're still there. The power that you unleashed through your resurrection is still available to us. Lord, help us to turn our eyes towards you, to listen to you, to do what you ask of us, Lord. We pray that we would not forget the simple message the one that the Apostle Paul spoke 2,000 years ago, the one that we still hear today, that Christ is in us or can be. When we choose to turn our attention and our life, we choose to trust and make you the leader of our life, Lord. You provide us so much. You are enough. We pray this in your powerful name.